Your DNA is just your DNA, but based on the inputs from your environment, it influences the expression of your DNA. And if we, if we take that understanding and how it relates to our culture, our environment, is that we have to obsess over the inputs that affect expression. A simple metaphor that we use is genetically there's no difference between a caterpillar, a cocoon, and a butterfly. Genetically identical, but yet remarkably different expressions. So if you're like me, there are days where you've shown up in certain activities slow and sloppy. <laughs> or you've shown up just shut off from the world in your own <laughs> silo or cylinder of excellence, as some people call it. Love or a socialized greater expression of yourself. Wow. What so a great the inputs that create the different expression. And then as a leader, being a true culture custodian <laughs> for yourself, your team and your organization that you know which inputs to stop and which inputs to intentionally bring in. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're back here with episode 66, our special guest, Jason Krause coming to us from Calgary, and the title today is The Science Behind Success, What It Takes to Master High Performance. So often we are looking for very practical and clear action items, steps, approaches, mindsets to achieve high performance and what Jason calls meaningful leadership. Jason's got the answers for you here today. He's a managing director of Level 52, an executive coaching and leadership development organization. Got a new book coming out in November, The Science Behind Success, What Every Leader Needs to Know About Mindset, Influence, Culture, and Performance. And notably, Jason formerly was the pilot on the Canadian Olympic bobsled team. Listen in as we riff about leadership, in particular, meaningful leadership. Jason's going to talk about the four pillars of performance, hypertrophy, mimetics, epigenetics, and myelin. He is literally bringing the science of high performance to you. Whether you're in a leadership role or a performance role, this is the place to get the answers you've been looking for to be that high performer. Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We have Jason Krause with us. Another international guest. He's coming to us from Calgary. Yes, Canada is international, folks. <laughs> and he's the managing director of an organization called Level 52. And Jason is all about leadership. And I love this. It's a simple statement, but they help organizations transform experts into high-performance leaders. And that's such an issue today because yep. experts tend to be the ones who get promoted into leadership but never get developed into leaders. Yep. So we're here to talk about leadership as always. 
he co-created something called the science behind success, a disruptive approach to leadership based on physiology of high performance. He also has a book coming out by the same name that's going to be coming out shortly. We'll hear lots about that today. And Jason has led leaders across the world, worked with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, as well as small and medium-sized businesses. But here's his cool backstory. I'm going to give him the details, but he was a pilot on the Canadian national bobsled team. So you want to think about someone who's in a high-performance, high-team environment. Bobsled is probably one of the greatest team sports in the world that requires the most execution together. So I know that has informed and guided a lot of Jason's work. So welcome, Jason, to the Impact Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Craig. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. So Jason, give us a little bit of the backstory on you, and obviously we want to include the bobsled in there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I've grown up mostly in the Calgary area. However, I did have a six-year stint down just south of Denver in a place called Castle Rock. My folks were in oil and gas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've stayed close to the foothills of the Rockies, just north and south. I, uh, coming out of high school, I was a football player, played Canadian football, the equivalent of junior football. And I was having injury problems. And someone said, you know what? I heard bobsled is great training. For football so i thought okay I'll, I'll go get involved in bobsled training and i go to a testing camp i was always quite strong and fast and i went to a camp and a guy came up to me after the camp he says hey your your numbers were pretty good he said he said i just won a gold medal at the nagano olympics and i'd uh i'm looking for some crew members to push my four-man sled what do you think about traveling around the world in a hockey bag you know <laughs> And so that started this process. I, I made the difficult choice of walking away from football and stepping into this unknown sport, but it wow. just seemed like such an adventure that I had no idea it would last eight years. <laughs> who was the, am I remembering correctly? Wasn't there an NFL player who tried out the bobsled? Uh, the U.S. team, Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker. Mm-hmm. That's hey, that was before my time. That's, wow. And of course, cool runnings. The the that's movie right. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do some Jamaican music now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's a good movie. That is such a good movie. Yeah, it's it a is. great movie. So with bobsledding, I'm just really curious. I've always wanted to do either that or the luge, and it just seems like I mean, so I'm a I'm a pilot pilot and kind of a wrist junkie and, and lots of different things, and it just seems like that would be so fun, fast, furious, dangerous. <laughs> It is. I remember the first time. So I pushed for Dave. I pushed in his four-man sled for about a year. And it's not a comfy ride. Like, you're you're pushing a bobsled because you want to compete and you want to create something um, on the international stage. But it is not a comfortable ride. When I had the chance to learn how to drive a sled, I took it. And uh, when when you're learning how to drive, you've you pad someone up in hockey equipment in the back as, as your cannon fodder. But I remember like you don't start pushing, you start sitting in the sled when you're first learning halfway up the track. And then they slowly nudge you over the crest and you build up speed. And soon you're just flying down the track. But I remember the first time I'm sitting in the sled, uh, 
I'm there and I'm asking myself, why did I choose to sit here and learn how to drive? But before I could tell them to stop, they'd pushed it over the crest and you don't pull the brakes in a bobsled until you cross the finish line. And so away I went and boom, it, uh, it is, it's such a wild ride, but really what it is, it's forced presence. You have no choice, but to be so present with where you are. Now, are you doing micro movements to, to steer? Yeah. That seems like it'd be very sensitive. Yeah, it, it's one of the hardest things because it's a D-ring system where you, you just pull gently, which, which moves the blades when yeah. your normal reaction as you go screaming into a corner is to just yank on that. <laughs> right. But that's where the composure and the focus is just nice, smooth entries and exits. Yeah, wow. Amazing. Well, I'm going to guess, Jason, take a wild guess that in your career in the bobsled, you might have crashed a few times. <laughs> I did. I had a fair share of crashes. And, you know, here's the most memorable crash. We are, at a, we are in a World Cup race in a place called Altenburg, Germany, as far east Germany as you can get. And you'll get 10, 15,000 people to the races uh, wow. at, in, uh, in Altenburg. And... It was a four-man race. After the first heat, we, we were actually doing pretty good. And it's generally a track that I was struggling with. We were just outside of the top 10. And I had a new crew member, a new person pushing on my sled. And half, uh, after the first run, we're sitting in the start house. And he looks over at me. He goes, hey, Jay, Jay, guess what? I'm a bobsledder now. <laughs> and I think there's a saying in bobsled that says... No, you're not a bobsledder until you crash. (laughs) You can guess what happened in the second heat. Oh, no. Halfway down the track, I make a stupid driving error. I exit a corner too soon. The pressure lifts us back up. We go over. It was a nasty crash. But this guy, because it was his first World Cup race ever, he didn't put on his burn vest under his race suit gets pinned outside the sled. And when you crash in a bobsled, you don't slow down that much. You're still going like 50, 60 miles an hour. And, and the friction like burned like a softball size hole in his shoulder. Oh, and so like, he's got a nasty war wound or flesh trophy for the rest of his life. Wow. But yeah, I've, I've been in some, some good crashes. It's part of the, part of the sport. Yeah. And then you went into the leadership side. So tell us a little bit about that journey. I left sport, but you know, one of the, one of the great things is while I was competing, you, you have a hockey bag full of clothes when you go on tour six weeks, two months at a time. And then I'd bring basically a hockey bag full of books. And there was a call, uh, a competitor on the U S team. Steve Messler, we would just always talk high performance and all the things we were exposed to. And when I retired, I started getting into the coaching consulting side of things, but I kept talking to Steve as he remained competing. Steve went on to win a gold medal Mm. at the Vancouver Olympics, 
But we went beyond high performance in our discussions and we're learning in 2010, like neuroscience was still this new thing. We started talking about epigenetics and, and memetics. And we came up with this crazy concept of the science behind success, these four pillars of performance. And, uh, Steve and I created this pilot that we delivered actually at the University of Florida Warrington School of Business. And looking back, it's an embarrassingly bad version, <laughs> but people loved it. It yeah. lit them up. And so from there, it just evolved, started working with senior leadership teams. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes you just got to start ugly, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. And it's evolved from there. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. So I love the the idea of actually looking at the science behind that, the fact that you're dealing with, you know, our brains, because that's that's really where the performance comes from, whether it's our beliefs, whether it's our, our mindset. Um, uh, wow. I mean, so many people don't understand how much the brain is really controlling us. And most people don't really have control over it. <laughs> so... That's it. I mean, that's one of the one of the starting points of mastering meaningful leadership is yeah. being aware of your mindsets. Absolutely. Everything cascades from there. Yep. So Jason, you mentioned four pillars. It, was it helpful to just get those laid out right now? Because I'm guessing they're going to be part of this ongoing conversation. Sure. First pillar, hypertrophy. We know that as no pain, no gain. Second pillar memetics, behavioral contagion, viral influence. And what is the definition of memetics? Memetics. If genes are the building blocks of life, memes are the building blocks of culture. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Memes. All right. Epigenetics, which is the factors that influence genetic expression, how that relates to culture and leadership. And then the last one is myelin in the process of skill acquisition. Hmm. How do you spell that that last one, Jason? M-Y-E-L-I-N. So it sounds sounds like a uh, basically a process for building the high performance. So I love that. And the, the aspects of you have the no pain, no gain. So when you're starting with hypertrophy, are you really saying that if, if you're not uncomfortable, if you're not pushing yourself beyond what you're normally doing, that you're not going to see the growth, you're not going to see what you want? Yeah, yeah very close. I'll, I'll even take it a step further. It, hypertrophy is basically when a muscle subjected to stress or resistance, it adapts by growing. Yeah. And so there's potential in that. And that not only it's engaging in the struggles, persevering, all of that, it's important. We take it a step further in saying all great leaders are meaningful masochists. (laughs) (laughs) They deliberately engage in the pains in their environment and get joy because they see it's on their path towards this resonant vision. I love it. I love it. That's the first time anybody's talked about leadership masochism, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of that, I'm wondering, we had a guest recently, and I don't remember which guest was talking about one of their guiding principles they had learned from Warren Buffett. Oh, yeah. The idea of leaders run towards the fire. Yeah. 
not afraid from it. So it sounds like, but I hear you saying it's really about being intentional with it. So this is not random chaos. This is purposeful finding those pain points and intentionally moving into them and through them. Yeah. And, you know, in the process of really engaging in meaningful masochism, the, the starting point is understanding the pains in your environment, what we call a CSP inventory. Give yourself permission to complain about the little irritations. Identify all the stressors that keep you up at night. And then in the last column, the deep pains, the ones that created heartache for you. Let's oh. list those out. And then you can plot them on a matrix. You can, you can analyze them. So it's not just a tsunami of complaints, stressors, pains, but now you can say which ones are going to be most valuable for me to dive into. Hmm. Gotcha. So is that a prioritization or is it, and is it, is that prioritization based on which has the biggest impact or which you can resolve the quickest or how do you look at it? It depends on the individual, right? Like some people might have different criteria. There's, you can look at some of the little irritations that you can address now that's going to be way easier before they compound and become festering infections later right. on. Or you deal with the stressors that right now they're causing the most anxiety. Yeah. So, so can we change the election? <laughs> Well, here, I mean, if we take that, for example, or any, anything that creates anxiety, the most productive place is to roll with what you can, you know, the circle of influence, all of those things, but really how do you create from here? doesn't matter if it's a heartbreaking pain, the most productive place for a leader to stand in is what's important now. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. And, and I will say, Today is election day, so we don't know what the results are. I'm just assuming there's going to be some people that are not pleased tomorrow. So, but yes, I, I love that, that you talk about the, the aspects of we have to step into that pain and, and intentionally go after it so that we can grow, expand, and serve the people that we're with. So, Jason, the CSP, the Complaint Stressors and Pains, is this typically externally driven with an internal reaction or are you looking at some of those elements that are largely internal? Well, if we look at common complaints, uh, I'm at a meeting and Jeff shows up late. Jeff shows up unprepared, right? Th those are complaints, things that irritate me. Okay. Um, stressors. I have to reduce headcount in my business. Um, we've just lost a key customer. How do we get them back? The things, complaints are often, they start with a statement, I wish blank would be different. Stressors are often a question, how do I make the right choice around letting people go, um, get this customer back, fix this big issue? And then pains are often the, I wish I would have. Hmm. Interesting that the, that the pains end up being the regrets. Yeah, it's a good starting point for reflection where when you have, when you understand your regrets and the pains, then you can reverse engineer them mm -hmm. and then you leverage that for the future. 
Yeah. So that if we take it a step forward, if you and I are engineering our discussion, I can say, hey, Craig, an example in the past, maybe it was something with Jeff, uh, here's where something really went wrong. And let's talk about how we make sure this doesn't happen to us. Gotcha. So let's look, I, I'd really like to track the process here, Jason, because these are, these are pieces of the process. You got your pillars, you got your CSP. You talk about, and you've shared with us offline, how you know, part of your objective and what you do is you help organizations turn their high performers or their, uh, their high performers into strong leaders. So let's imagine you've got a high performer. Someone is either about to be promoted to a leadership role, some position, or they just have. You've got this person here. They're, they're whole cloth. Walk us through the process and how these pillars and CSPs get applied to them. Starting point is define leadership. What's the definition of leadership? And you can imagine in a room full of 20, 30 people, <laughs> how many of those definitions are the same? None. There are going to be some commonalities, but none of them are the same. We say, great, forget pursuing the definition of leadership and start getting real clear about what your definition of leadership is. Yeah. Because that's where the power is. Like, how do you want to lead? And of course, it's an evolution through our program, but now that's the starting point that we can loop back to. That's meaningful leadership when you make meaning from the way that you want to lead. And then it's a process of awareness, exposing them to the mindset of pain, hypertrophy, being an object versus an agent, stress versus distress. All of these things is really setting them up for a big pain, a smack in the face, which is your 360. <laughs> Let's get feedback from people. How do they experience you? Both the good and the bad. Now that becomes the starting point for taking hypertrophy, understanding your CSPs, creating an inventory that then that inventory you carry forward through the rest of the program or the process, which the next step is now with the awareness of the 360, becoming extremely intentional with the viruses you spread, the impact you have. Hmm. So this is, I, I want to go back to the definition because that's a big piece for me. Are you talking about the individual, the organization, or them doing it collectively? It, it's funny to me when an organization says, this is who our leaders are. Values are important. <laughs> but hey, like all three of us, we could work for the same organization. And I tell you, we're going to lead differently because we've got different strengths and different styles. And so what's more important is for us to get clear individually, what's the best way for me to make impact inside the business in alignment with our values, not as a cookie cutter, um, trying to lead in a, through a straitjacket. Yeah. So how much are you in any way influencing that? And I'll be really direct about that. I shared this on a mastermind yesterday. I just read a newspaper, a business newspaper editorial over the weekend that really upset me, frankly. The editor of this magazine was saying that if we were choosing the presidency based upon leadership, like CEO leadership, Donald Trump is the obvious choice. And what I'm about to say is not about Donald Trump. 
But his list of traits that he was doing the comparison on, to me, is very old school and didn't address probably what I would say are the 10 most important things about leadership, which is, are you engaging your people? Are you empowering your people? Are you building trust? Or do you have a culture of values? Do you live those values? Do you have a culture of feedback? Do you empower your people? None of those. It was the traditional list of visionary, decisive, you know, smart, quick thinking. And so to me, if you say, well, if we all say that's what leadership is, then we're going to create another generation of ineffective leaders, in my opinion. That's behavioral contagion. <laughs> tell, me, Sam, tell me more about that. You, well, it, what I love about what you said, Jeff, is how we simplify it. This isn't our model, but the transactional, transformational leadership style. Transactional leaders focus on what you do. They focus on the PNL and how you are contributing to a healthy PNL. And culture is just a thing that, you know, you don't pay attention to. It's all about what you do. You lead through the spreadsheet. Uh, transformational leadership, leadership more upstream, focusing on the things that you just said, trust, mm -hmm. relationship, development, whether a transactional leadership will go, Jeff, you're not pulling your weight, you're out of here. Transformational leadership is, hey, Jeff, tell me your understanding of this objective. What, what did you learn? Because we, we didn't hit our, our numbers, right? I'm going to coach you. I'm going to develop you so that the long-term trajectory of your growth makes you a real asset to the business and to the culture. Yeah. So transactional, transformational, but behavioral viruses. If you look at a presidency, if you in a company or a nation, there are the things you achieve as a president, but what do you model that, I mean, quite simply, we say the most senior leader in an organization is a walking billboard that advertises how you be successful. The words you say, the actions you take. So if you walk into the meeting, Jeff, and you're the CEO and it's a shitstorm, you're throwing paper, you're screaming at people, you know, those new execs, what are they learning? That's what you do when you've got power. That's what they say. That's leadership. And if I want to succeed here, I got to be like that. And it's not it, like it's so short sighted. Yes. Because when you lead that way, who are you leading for? Yourself. No. Yourself, your bonus, yep. your ego. Right. It's not about transforming other people. No. It, you, and you know, if, if we boil down to, if someone says, what are the two qualities that will make or make a great leader. And it's simple, hunger and humility. You've got hunger to want to be better for your people, for your constituents, for your nation, for your organization, that wanting to be better. And then humility is that my expertise is yesterday's news. That's the way the world was. <laughs> what wow. can we learn? Yeah, good perspective. So as you, you clearly have mastered aspects of being present uh, as a bobsled driver, but also as somebody who's looking at being a, an authentic leader, 
And so when you look at that, what are some of the, the key traits of being present for the people who are around you that you would look at? I think it's one of the one of the biggest challenges when you've got a plate full of to-dos, <laughs> yeah. things that need to happen. How do you be present? It's uh, a statement that we that we hammer over and over is inputs affect expression or the saying garbage in garbage out. If I'm at a one-on-one -on -one with you, Craig, and you're speaking and I'm just filtering it through my expertise or I've got a script rolling in my head, then I'm not present, which means I'm not getting good data to work with, yep. which means my expression is going to be reactive. It's going to be incomplete and it's going to ultimately lead to poor communication hmm. because I'm not present. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we don't go on script <laughs> here. You know, we want to, we want to be there for the guests. Well, one of the things we've talked, I love talking about presence. Craig knows that. I think in life in general, presence is the secret sauce for me. If I'm present, it changes everything. It changes trajectory. It changes, uh, it, it removes objections, almost all of the obstacles, certainly all the mental ones. I'm not time traveling. And one of the challenges I found is, well, there's really two. Yeah, it's hard, but I think a lot of people think that this is the reason they're not present. The phone? As long as I put my phone away, if I put my phone away, then I'm present. You <laughs> say, well, no, absolutely not. You're, that, you just removed the physical distraction, but are you thinking about the phone? Are you thinking about the emails? Are you thinking about what you're going to say to this person? Are you thinking about the project you have to work on later this afternoon? Are you thinking about the fact that you're behind schedule while you're interacting with that team member? who's sharing an idea or just sharing how, where they're at. I mean, presence is such a, it's like one of those things that's so simple yet so challenging. You're either here or not. It, it, this is high performance leadership or even better meaningful leadership is exactly what you said, Jeff. Most of the things that we employ, whether it's presence, are so simple that most people step over them as they seek the magic bullet to fix all of their problems. Right. But high performance is obsessing over the simple things that make the most significant difference. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. It's interesting. It's the 80-20, it's the and some of the research that we've seen recently is that 80% of success comes from the interpersonal skills, your, your integrity, things like that, versus your hard skills of, how, of what you know in the job performance. Exactly. If you think, you stink. It doesn't matter if it's sports. <laughs> like, as an athlete, you know that. That's why you rep everything in practice. So when it comes to crunch time, or in business, in collaboration. If I'm thinking, then I'm not creating value. Hmm. 
I'm guessing that's what you were getting at earlier when you said how present you must be to pilot a bobsled. If you're anywhere but that moment, you're told you're worthless, frankly. Toast. And you're dangerous. <laughs> you're actually dangerous. Yeah. You're dangerous and worthless if you're not present. And I'm really curious. I think there's so much that I see. I've never ridden in a bobsled. I've just watched it. It's a fascinating sport to watch. And what strikes me is that in order to become great and high performing in a bobsled, you've got to learn to go past the edges. Like you, like you said, you, you had a crash when you came out of a turn too quick. But my guess is you had to come out of a turn too quick to know what that was. Hmm. Does that make sense? The question that you have to go past the edge in order to find the edge. Yeah. You know it. Yes. In bobsled. And I think that's when it, if we relate that to leadership as well is the more we get into business, the higher up we get, we think we have to show up perfect. Hmm. Right. And so we stop going past the edge and we start playing it safe. And biologically, a cell is either in growth mode or protection mode, never both at the same time. So we're either in preservation mode. I'm going to preserve my ego, my reputation, my role, or I'm going to push the limits. Yeah. Yeah. We had a fascinating interview with Walt uh, Rakovich that uh, Rakovich that's uh, he was a former, uh, I guess what? Inc. In 500. It was a, it was a S and P 500, I believe company. Yeah. He was CEO during the so, financial meltdown of eight and nine. Yeah. And he, he came back to his team and said, look, I don't have the answers. We got to figure this out. What, what, what can we do? You know, and, and was able to, to be in that place. He said, um, he, he literally fainted when he started thinking about the, the woes ahead of him. And then he came back to the group with a big old lump on his head and said, let's figure this stuff out. I, I can't do it by myself. And I bet that created a high level of engagement. They turned the company around. Yeah. yeah. So I thought this is just to me, so intriguing, Jason, mm-hmm. You've talked about the pillars. I'd like to make sure everybody hears a little more about each of these. You've talked about hypertrophy. You've talked a little bit about memetics, but not a lot. So can you give us a, put a little more meat on each of those pillar bones? Everything is a virus. From the words you speak to the clothes you wear to the actions that you take. Mm. And a virus, you've got a virus. It reaches a susceptible host. It colonizes and infects them, and then it gets into transmission mode. And as a leader, there are susceptible hosts around us. It doesn't matter if it's your children as a leader at home or inside the walls of your business. And so all the words that you say and the actions you take will spread subconsciously. A classic example is I was interviewing a a new senior vice president in a large organization and just talking about his 90 day plan. And I said, how do you prioritize? And he goes, Oh, trust me, no monkeys are jumping on my back. He says, I work with my office door closed. And when I leave, I put my head down on my phone and I walk fast. (laughs) Fast forward three months, Craig, what was everyone on that floor doing? They, they, they had no idea what he was up to, so they were doing their own stuff. They're doing the same thing. They would exactly. leave, 
their office, put their heads down on their phone and walk fast. Yep. And right. they weren't available to anyone else. Yep. All they did was take care of their stuff. No collaboration, no people lingering in the halls connecting because that's what successful people do in this business. Yeah. And if leaders aren't aware of the viruses they spread from the way that they complain about things to start meetings mm-hmm. to the way yeah. they engage people in the hallways. Right. And whether they do, <laughs> whether they do, yeah. if they go straight to their office and start plugging away on their computer, or if they stop in, smile, greet people, build relationship, little things make the biggest difference. So it really comes back to understanding that as a leader, as a person who is influencing other people around us, whether we have positional leadership or not, we are in a place where whatever we do, people see. And we may not think that, but even even by our inaction in certain things, people take notice. And so we have to be very conscious about what it is that we do. Not perfect, but we do need to be conscious about it. You do, because what happens is, and this is the next step in, in understanding viral contagion is now understanding that doesn't matter if it's Nike, United Airlines, Lyft, Uber. When you think about those things, you make associations based on your experience and people do the same thing with you. So whether you like it or not, you've got a brand. And your 360 can give you an idea of what your current brand is. But then what's most important now is with that information, what's the brand I want to deliver? The impact, the associations. So at my retirement party, are Jeff and Craig celebrating the impact that I had on them and the business? Or are they celebrating the fact that they don't have to deal with me anymore? (laughs) Right. Or the numbers that you hit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're highlighting a phrase. You're highlighting a phrase and a concept that we talk a lot about here. And I, I can't remember where I, I first on the stage, I started. It's when I speak on leadership, this one is always in there, no matter whether they give me an hour or four hours, or they give me 15 minutes, this one will be in there because it's that important. And it's just what you said. And for me, I framed it around impact because the statement I created was that everything I do and say, and everything I don't do and don't say has an impact, both intended and unintended. And my responsibility as the leader is not only be aware about, of that, but take responsibility for those and be, bring all the unconscious into the conscious because I'm sending a message all day long. And then I say, that's not what I meant. That's not what I said. doesn't matter. I did it. Therefore, it was followed. And I love the virus piece. It's contagion. That's like, like you can't really avoid it because it's just, that's what it is. That's what viruses do. Yeah. Well, we, can, we can choose to be a, a virus for good or a virus for bad, so to speak. You know, we, we have that influence. We have that infectious capability. And I've heard infectious being used in a bad sense and, or a, you know, a sense of harming people and in a good sense of uplifting people. That's right. There are viruses that create critical momentum towards that vision and mission that inspires mm-hmm. us. And there are viruses that create cancer, cancerous downward spirals. Yeah. But Jeff, I love what you say around responsibility. Actions you take versus actions you don't. Because the stand we take all is you are responsible 
for everything that's happening in your environment, either through the actions you are or aren't taking. 100% responsibility. That's yeah. the piece. It's there the only productive a, place to stand in. And it's, it's a fiery place. You it know, is. that's, you know, I, you know, when I talk about leadership, I talk about you're stepping into the fire. You're choosing to take on a target. You know, the target's not optional in leadership, but most of the time the target goes on the back because we let someone else put it there. And I tell leaders, no, grab that target. When you step into leadership, put it on your chest by vulnerability and say, here I am. I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah but you're going to tell me you're not going to talk behind my back because right. of the way I show up as a leader. I'm going to invite you to give me that feedback and I'm going to make it safe for you to give me that feedback. And yeah. we will all learn and grow together because of what I model or whomever that is models. Yep. Love it. Yep. So we talked about viruses. Now what about epigenetics? Pillar three. Epigenetics, the science that explains why culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> we, we can easily get pulled into what's called the DNA and uh, the despair of your DNA, where we make up rules around, we only hire this type of person or the best performers are these type of people. So I get two Harvard PhDs come into my organization. One get puts, gets put into one side of the company, one gets put into the other side of the company. Let's say they're identical in their brilliance and potential. Well, one side of my company has just an awful culture, backstabbing, lack of trust, et cetera. And the other side is very collaborative, innovative, high relationship side of the business. What's that? Supportive. It's supportive. And what happens? Well, this one PhD on one side, people are like, who is this person? Like they're brutal. They were supposed to be good. And this other person, they're like, wow, they're doing everything we thought they could. Well, this is a simplified example of how epigenetics works. Your DNA is just your DNA, but based on the inputs from your environment, it influences the expression of your DNA. And if we, if we take that understanding and how it relates to our culture, our environment, is that we have to obsess over the inputs that affect expression. A simple metaphor that we use is genetically, there's no difference between a caterpillar, a cocoon, and a butterfly. Genetically identical, but yet remarkably different expressions. So if you're like me, there are days where you've shown up in certain activities slow and sloppy. <laughs> or you've shown up, just shut off from the world in your own silo or cylinder of excellence, as some people call it. Love it. Or a socialized greater expression of yourself. Wow. What so a great the inputs that create the different expression. And then as a leader, being a true culture custodian <laughs> for yourself, your team and your organization that you know, which inputs to stop and which inputs to intentionally bring in. I love that idea of, of the culture. You call it the culture custodian. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. You, you open this with a phrase about culture eats strategy all day long. That's not a new statement. 
And many leaders would espouse that statement, but their actions would not support that statement. <laughs> right. So I would love for you to comment, Jason, on what do you find? Because you said earlier, this stuff is simple. It gets stepped over. What do you find are the biggest obstacles to actually living leadership the way you're talking? Expertise, ego, habits. It's a, it's a real problem when we, we work in a team and I go, man, Craig is really good at his job. He gets things done, constant high achiever. We don't want to lose him, so let's promote him. <laughs> and Jeff goes, well, hold on. Craig, Craig doesn't really like people. <laughs> I go, that doesn't matter. All he has to do is lead them. Oh, oh that's so, so awful. Yes, we've... You know, yes. It, like, it's, it's not a new thing, but then he, here's what happens. Craig gets in there, and he's used to running the ball across the goal line himself. And so these young, eager employees come to Craig looking for support and direction, and Craig goes, that's not how you do it. Give it to me. I'll do it. Or it's micromanagement. It's, or it's micromanagement. No, stop. That's not how you do it. That's not the way to do it. And so now Craig just says, like, just keep giving me the ball because that's what I'm used to. And he discards his people saying they can't do anything. They're not very good. And now he's going, I don't have time to do anything because I'm carrying the ball and I'm supposed to be the offensive coordinator. Yeah. Wow. That really comes back to a, a person who understands how to do a particular job, but once they move into that leadership role, they don't know how to expand that into other people. And I think that's, that's a critical piece that we see often is when people get promoted to, you know, I guess we, we could saw, say it's the Peter principle of getting promoted to their level of incompetence, but really it's, it's a shift in what the day-to-day -day work is. And people don't always realize that when you go into management leadership, you're now responsible for more people. Yes, they realize that in, you know, intellectually, but their schedule doesn't change. That's right. And so what do we do when things are nebulous, opaque, foggy, we go to what we know, right? We, we do this exercise. It's, it's more difficult now in a virtual environment, but where a leader has to stand and listen to you telling me a story about yourself. <laughs> And beside him, there are people either giving simple math equations, wanting the answer, or animal sounds, wanting you to name the animal. And it's this, this stupid exercise, but when we give them direction to, at the end of your time, you're going to give as many details back to the story as possible, and then check in and have a conversation with the people. Well, where do people tend to choose their, to spend their time in that exercise? Four, dog, six, chicken <laughs> it it's a stupid exercise but it easily highlights what our problem is wow I love we it. get physiologically rewarded with the shit that doesn't matter <laughs> that we know the answer to yeah oh. well it sounds like you, you talked about the fog and the in the messiness of it because it would seem to me in that situation jason there's also the absence of clarity of expectations from the senior leaders because that person has always been rewarded for high performance. They've always been rewarded for carrying the ball across the goal. 
if someone doesn't tell them the game changed, is it really their fault that they didn't change how they played the game? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's responsibility, but if you say, hey, you, you're a great running back, does it, because you're a great running back, you got promoted. You're number one. Yeah. Who was responsible? Or, or now you're the coach. Well, I think it's certainly, but it, it, I would never abdicate responsibility, but I think so often when people, they fail as leaders, well, one of two things happens in your scenario most often in my experience, they fail as a leader and then senior leadership blames them and says, well, I guess they just weren't a leader, but they never really told them what it was. Yeah. Or they continue to perform because the organization loves their high performance and they get rid of the people who are beneath them because they say, well, they're not performing. Yeah. And yeah. I love it because this is, I'm going to talk about a simple tool that makes a significant difference in getting the clarity. I get promoted into this senior leadership role. Jeff, you're the CEO. I'm going to come in and practice what we call the art of bookending. So this is my objective. Jeff, what will really excite you with this objective? What will you see me doing? What will you hear me saying? What will the results be? Okay, I'm going to make sure and I'm going to ask all of the stupid questions. So you and I are looking that picture behind you right now. You might tell me that it's inspired. It's inspired by the pyramids or whatever it is. I'm going to go, well, help me understand where you see that. And you take me through the journey so that I can see that in crystal clear fashion. Then I can go, that's inspired by the pyramids. It's the same thing based on our objectives. We're going to bookend the heck out of it. Start with the ideal state. And I'm going to ask the stupid questions, but then just so I know, tell me what would really disappoint you. What would you hear me saying? What would you see me doing? What would the results be in the indicators? Now, I've got a bookend at any point in time to come to my senior leader and say, hey, Jeff, this is what we discussed. What's still true? And where do you assess me? Mm. Now I can go, hey, Craig, you're on my team. Here's your objective. What would really excite me is this. This is what I'd hear you saying. This is what I'd see you doing. And this is what would disappoint me. So now that we've got these bookends, here's what you can expect from me if you're more towards the undesirable state. And I'm going to champion you like hell if you're over here pursuing this desired state. So you got carrot and stick in there, <laughs> but hopefully not having to use the stick. <laughs> but what you have is context. Yes, absolutely. Understanding where now I, I don't blindside you by showing up and, and pushing you hard or giving you course corrective feedback, because this is again, a little thing that can make the biggest difference. We're all human. I'm not going to pretend to be all nice and fluffy all the time. I also want to achieve great things. And if you're not making your block or sticking to your coverage, then I'm going to call you out. Yeah. And here are the conditions that'll have me call you out. Wow. You know, that, that level of clarity is something that I'd say 99% of people would love to have because they don't know. And because they don't know, they don't feel safe. That's right. And so what do we do? We make things up. We <laughs> make up assumptions. Right. We spend so much unnecessary cognitive effort trying to figure out the rules of the game. Then how do we expect to be able to play it at a high level? <laughs> 
Well, it's a sad, it's a sad commentary because I'm thinking of a recent example, a newer client of mine sat down and spent a lot of time. He reports to the CFO of a very large company. I talked to the CFO and got his, you know, very open, honest feedback. I mean, it sounded, it sounded like really helpful feedback, but at the end of the conversation with the CFO, I said, how clear has this been articulated to the person I'm coaching? And he paused and he said, you know, not well. But he, he admitted it. He wasn't, it, it was almost like no one ever asked him that question. He said, you know, yeah, not really. But he was really clear in what needed to change, but he just wasn't communicating it because my judgment is he just gets so busy with his performance that he forgets that this is what his leadership is about. Yeah. And he's not present with where he is because we're tracking all the other things. And so I'm not stopping to give clear direction. A classic story in one of the leaders I've worked with is he was banging his head against the wall because he's been telling his team to take ownership. You guys need to take more ownership. You're not taking ownership. I've said, take ownership over and over again. And so when he was telling me this, I go, what is ownership to you? (laughs) What would your team be doing that would clearly tell you they're taking ownership? You know, and all those questions to help him get clear. Oh yeah, that's ownership. What isn't ownership? It's such a simple thing, but that clarity allows us to sprint, run to daylight. Well, that's funny you say that because one of the phrases that I say leaders should never utter. And if you utter it, you've just basically abdicated your leadership when you say anything like they should have known or they should oh, yeah. And, you know, my response to leaders who say that is always the same now. I have a script. I'll say, well, I appreciate that. Well, tell me why you're afraid to make it clear. Yeah. Well, they do not like me. I'm not afraid of anything. I said, well, apparently you are because you could make it clear, but you chose not to. Well, the other way you could say that is, yes, you're right. They should have known. And why didn't you tell them? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... Well, I think that some of that gets back to the virus too, Jason, that in terms of what's the behavior, what's the contagion. Because so often when I talk to companies, especially at the beginning, I love, I watch for the eye rolls. (laughs) Your leader tells me something about the organization. You know, we're incredible. We're a great feedback culture. We're a great, we're very accountable. We take ownership. And then I just watch everybody else as they look down and they start scribbling. (laughs) So when I get with them later, I said, I noticed that uh, your CEO really thinks this place is rocking. Yeah, well, sometimes. I said, well, (laughs) what's going on? They said, and then pretty quickly they'll say, he's the worst at that. He's not accountable. He takes no ownership whatsoever. He gives no feedback. (laughs) What organization is he talking about? <laughs> because they see his behavior, so they know it's not important. Because, I mean, that's the real, I think that's, isn't that a challenge for leaders? Because they're going to get a message from someone, and maybe they get a message that says those things don't matter, but they still have the opportunity to choose to lead that way. Notwithstanding that message, in my opinion, that's part of the responsibility of leadership. Not to blame the senior leader. So well, he doesn't give me feedback, so I'm not going to give my people feedback. Yeah. The, 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 the blame game is never a productive path forward. 
<laughs> no. You know, it's it comes back to what we said earlier in responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. So we've we've gone through uh pillar one is hypertrophy hypertrophy. Two is the mimetics, three is epigenetics. Let's talk about myelin, number four. Well, we know this as practice makes perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Physiologically, practice makes myelin insulating sheath around nerve fibers that um, accelerate the speed of impulses. If we start talking about law, the areas of the brain, Jeff, that are highly myelinated expertise, a, you know, an expert in neuroscience or a neurosurgeon could look at your fMRI and say, okay, this guy has a level of expertise here. So myelin is simply the physiological indicator of skill. Hmm. And Daniel Coyle, great book, The Talent Code, says to build myelin, it's, there are three ingredients, struggle, repetition, and the practice, presence, engagement. If your objective is to become a masterful leader, then now you have to understand, like, what's the process of acquiring the skill of leading effectively? And we bring this into getting clear about the structures that enhance performance. And we weave in video games. Video games are addicting. You try and pull a teenager off a, off a console, it's hard, or adults for that matter. Mm -hmm. But there are four simple elements in game mechanics that leaders can employ to not only accelerate their own development, but also the development of their people. Video games have clear goals. You know what it takes to get to the next level clear rules. I understand the rules of the game. If I bump into this, I lose points. If I achieve this, I gain points. Instant feedback. At any given point in time, Craig, I know if I'm getting closer to my goals or further away. So I can track it. I can see it real time. Yeah, because we have scores. On, uh, you know, we have things in front of us that actually tell us what's going on. It's our, it's our dashboard. Dashboard, our leaderboard, where, oh, okay, if Jeff's beating me now, I can move ahead of him. So whether it's a, a team dashboard or a personal dashboard where you're tracking, the fact that you're tracking something, you know that old saying, what you measure? Uh, exactly. Yep. And the last one is uh, what we call agency when it comes to accelerating things. Whether it's us on the same hockey team. One of us might be a grinder, one of us might be a sniper, one more of a defensive player. And so what's our way of achieving these goals? Maximizing our strengths to achieve it, individualizing it. So using the structures to accelerate performance because I tell you what happens after any training program, doesn't matter if it's leadership or what. If I say, okay, Craig, what are you gonna do? Well, I'm gonna focus on Communication skills. Okay, when are you going to do it? All the time. Well, what does that mean? You're going to do it none of the time. <laughs> because there's no specific structure or focus on it. And right. so when you employ game mechanics and create the clarity, the structure, the repetition, guess what? You may not be where you want to be today, but a year from now, as you up-level each week, mm -hmm. then eventually you'll get to level 52. That's where we're playing the longer game. That's right.
So a question just hit me, Jason. You've talked about this a couple times, and I'm wondering if it applies to all four pillars or certain pillars more than others, which is the role of awareness. Is awareness part of all four pillars, kind of one of the many umbrellas for all of this, or is it more relevant in a particular pillar? I love it. It's the entry point to everything. And so when you've got these four pillars, imagine the four pillars inside our model and our model is base it's it's a high performance model at the top of the model the entry point is awareness every thing we engage in is an invitation to open our awareness from this podcast to the next call that you have you're going to become more aware of something knowledge the relationship whatever it is from that awareness, now the next step is intention. Based on what I just learned or experienced, how does this allow me to refine or reshape my intention? Okay, well, the next podcast, how do I want to be more intentional? And I'm going to exercise it. The specific intention. And then after I exercise it, I get into the reflection mode. This is me watching game film, analyzing the performance. Did my intention have the impact in this exercise that I wanted. Well, guess what comes out of that reflection? A plus, awareness, a new level of awareness, so that then the cycle, ideally done well, continues to grow. That's a great question. Well, so I'm going to ask a follow-up. It's top of mind for me because I, I love the, I mean, I, my work with clients is a lot about awareness. Talk to the role of what, what's going to call this? Like changing our awareness goggles. I'm not, never said that before. I want to see if, how it turns out. So let me give you a quick example. I was talking to a mentee yesterday. One of his challenges is that he knows, he's aware that he often seeks perfection. He seeks to be perfect. And he's aware that he does it, but often he doesn't see it till later he'll realize that that's what was going on. Now, he also is aware enough to know that where that comes from is that that is what he has translated to mean acceptance. That if he, his, his story he's created in his head is, if I'm perfect, I'm accepted. If I'm not perfect, I might get rejected. And what's interesting about that, he has a lot of awareness, but an awareness he didn't have before yesterday is that he was judging other leaders through that lens and reaching conclusions. So his current boss, he said, yeah, I don't think she's very competent. She's not a good leader. His prior boss, he said, yeah, he was a much better leader. He was a good leader. Well, after a half hour, we realized the reason he thought the prior boss was a good leader is because that boss was a micromanager. And because the boss was a micromanager, he was always paying attention to this guy's work, which means he was getting attention that made him feel good about himself. Mm. So now he says, oh, my gosh, he's the worst leader. I mean, she's got her issues, but he is convinced this guy's a great leader because he was feeding what he needed. So that was a whole different level of awareness. That's why I'm saying the awareness goggles. So I see a layer or two or three below the surface. I think this is the most challenging part of the whole process the science behind success science is the pursuit of greater understanding the curiosity 
Success, not perfection, not a destination. Success is a verb. It's progress. So if I pursue greater understanding to make progress, like that is what we are seeking. And if I've got awareness now that I have these perfection tendencies, I understand the upside, the downside of looking through these glasses, then now I get to ask myself, with this leader, how do I want to engage them intentionally? How do I want to see them and engage with them when maybe they show up in a way that I judge? What do I want to do different? Like that's the experiment, making it specific. Because if I just say I have perfection tendencies, well, where did you have one last? And so the next time you engage with this, how do you want to show up? What are some of the things they might do that might activate this? This is the, intent, the, the real deep intention. How do I want to be different next time? So it sounds, I'm hearing a recurring theme that this process has a lot of simplicity to it. As you went to awareness, intention, awareness, intention, awareness, intention, new action, and then new awareness as you learn from that. So it's not a linear, it's a circle, the way I'm hearing it. So I'm aware, I have intention, I change my action, I get new awareness, I get intention, new action. So it's, is that, am I hearing this correctly? Yeah, there's one missing step, and that's like the reflection piece that ah, leads okay. to the next level of awareness. It's, okay, so that's where I'm learning from it. That's my learning from, okay. That's right. We, we'd all agree that experience is our greatest teacher, yet we don't fully leverage the opportunities to maximize that experience. Yes. Very good point. Well, yeah, that. That's funny you say that because I think it's in the last week, and maybe it was on the podcast, I, we were talking about, I may have written something about it, this idea that we think that experience, we learn from experience. I don't think that's true. I think that people assume they had an experience, therefore they learn something from it. No, it's only if I get aware about that and I'm intentional about the learning, because I know I've had experiences I didn't learn anything from. Right because I didn't take responsibility for them and I didn't use my, get more aware from them and I didn't reflect all the things you're talking about. That's I love right. this. This you, is a game changer, man. You push the blame away and you keep doing what you do because everyone else is wrong. <laughs> and I mean, there's a saying, this so is your a, experience is like mine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there, there's a saying in the book, um, a friend's old uncle says, if everywhere you go smells like shit, it's time to check your underpants. <laughs> Good point. You keep, you keep pointing the blame and you don't do anything to change the experience yourself. And guess what? And we see this all the time. It takes a nightmare to wake you up. Mm. Yeah. Something significant for you to happen, to change the way you do things. And so you either intentionally engage in the process of the science behind success, the model, the exercise of leadership, hunger and humility, or you just wait until it takes a nightmare to wake you up. What, where, where would you want to play your cards, put your chips? Wow, that could have been a different title right there, Jason, of your book, Waking Up from the Nightmare. <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Jason, this has been incredible. And it really, I mean, I love this episode because it challenged me. Yep. I mean, I had to really listen differently because you're inviting some different perspectives, different language, mm-hmm. bring the science into it. And I'm, I'm hoping our, well, I'm trusting that our listeners are going to do as well. Uh, I always like to finish with this kind of question for you. There's a lot we talked about. There's a lot we didn't talk about. What's the question that we didn't ask you that really needs to be answered to wrap up this episode? Why did I write this book and why am I doing this work? There you okay. go. You're the brilliant answer. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no, well, I go with the truth. Let's try out the truth. Yeah, it's always a good place to, <laughs> to go from. Um, the book is dedicated to my kids because, I mean, they're, they're young. They're five to ten. I've got four of them. And it's this whole work is because I yearn for the day where work isn't the place where people's hearts hurt the most. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Wow. Wow, that's um, that's a sobering statement. Yeah. And the way we lead and influence can really change that when we become custodians of our cultures. Yeah. Spread the viruses that are worth spreading. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you shared that. That was a that is a you can't get a better um, bow on that package of wisdom today. So Jason, I want to give you a chance. You've mentioned the book a few times. Tell us what you want to promote to our listeners. It may be the book. It may be, is there something special going on in your business they need to hear about? Hey, a great starting point is to pick up the book, highlight what feels important, scribble out what doesn't and make it meaningful for them. They can find it on our website. It launches November 23rd. We've got some fun pre-sale stuff that starts November 16th. They can find it on level52.ca. Cool. And how do they find you, Jason? How do they track you down if they want to get connected with you? Uh, they, They can track me down on LinkedIn. Jason Krause, Jason with a Y. My parents curse me with that extra letter. Uh, or even or even on our website, level52.ca. Fantastic. And Jason, we always wrap up uh, every episode with a question, one of our signature questions. And I'm going to choose this question for you. Once you envision that you have the opportunity to have dinner with someone living today of your choice, who do you want to have dinner with? And what's the one question you're going to ask them? One person. Oh man, that is a tough question. <laughs> my immediate reaction is, you know, if I can have dinner with anyone tonight, it's going to be my family, <laughs> right? The people closest to me, but one person, if we remove that as an option, man, like, how is that the hardest question <laughs> that you've asked <laughs> entire podcast? The person that jumps out to me would be Carol Dweck. Mm-hmm. Uh, just her book mindset is remarkable. And the question I'd ask her be what's most important to know about mindset. Mm-hmm. Everything cascades from mindset. Yeah. 
the way we see our world is the way we engage with it. So if there's something to master, gosh, let's start there. <laughs> well, I'm in the mindset of gratitude right now for having you here, Jason. We've really enjoyed our conversation. Hey, thank you. It's been a pleasure. You said fun. I had a blast. So thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for being here. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission, that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.